Hebrews 7. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me again this morning. Hebrews 7. And the main point of our sermon today is the abolishing of the commandment. There is two sides to what happened when Christ died, thinking in the sense that we're looking at today. The old covenant was abolished and the new covenant was implemented. The new covenant was put in, we could say. It was made the covenant the law of the Christian. And today we will look a little bit more at how the covenant was abolished. It is actually, the word that is actually used here in Hebrews 7 verse 18 is disannul or disannulling. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment. What that means, the, the, the word annul is a right word, is a proper word. The word disannul is a proper word, but the dis wouldn't need to be there. But that's how it is here. But it is synonymous to make void, to deprive of authority or force, to nullify, to abolish. And it's used as in disannulling a law or an ordinance. If there is an ordinance in town that says you, can't, you can only drive 25 miles per hour, not faster, it would be disannulled and it would no longer be in effect. You would no longer have that miles per hour limit. So that is what we're looking at here today in verse 18, speaking about a disannulling of the commandment, or other versions say, put away, set aside, um, abolished. So th that's the side that we want to look at today, what that means, that the old covenant is abolished. Because there are many uh, misinterpretations of that thought and of that teaching today. And we want to look at that because I believe it's important for the believer to understand what the law is and what our law is and what, and what that means. Let's read in Hebrews 7 from verse 17. And I will, I will kind of go slowly through this and point out some things and then we'll start again at verse 17 and, and look more at the first few verses after verse 17. Hebrews 7 verse 17, For he testifies, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this was but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. We've looked at this before. The Old Testament priesthood and then Jesus being another priest. 
a whole different line of priesthood, not a continuing, but a different priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And now it is repeating it here again that Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek and it was sworn with an oath. The Old Testament priests were simply put in by God. He just said, okay, you, need, you should be a priest. Okay, you should be a priest. God didn't swear and say, I swear that you will be the priest. But he just set them there. But it's, it's saying here there is a difference in Christ's priesthood because there was an oath made that Christ will be the priest. And that is for the, for the new covenant. So by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Jesus, the high priest with an oath, and the high priest of the new covenant, whereas the old covenant had a priesthood, but that was the Levitical priesthood. Verse 23, And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Again, the Old Testament priests, they would die, and another one would take over. They would die, and another one would take over. But this new priesthood, there's only one high priest, and that is Jesus, and he will never be replaced. Wherefore, verse 25, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Christ is able to intercede for everyone in the whole wide world. The Levitical priesthood were there mainly for the Israelites, for those who were in that place. Even if it went beyond the Israelites, for example, Rahab was saved, and there was a few other Gentiles who came in and basically became Israelites. They got saved, and then the priesthood was for them, or, or they came into the Old Covenant, and then the priesthood was for them. But Christ priesthood, it says here that he is able to save to the uttermost, everywhere, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just a certain place, not just a certain people like Israel, but everywhere. It's what verse 25 says, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Those who come through Christ to God, he is able to save them wherever they come from. Because he is a different priest, not a priest after the Levitical priesthood. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. That's Christ, not the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was holy in a sense, they were set apart, but the people who were priests were still sinners. They had to offer up a sacrifice for themselves. Jesus was truly holy. He had no sin. He was harmless. He was undefiled. He had no sin. Separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. The Old Testament priesthood, they had to constantly offer sacrifices because it was no lasting sacrifice. It was an image and it was pointing to that which was to come, which is Christ. 
So Christ does not need to daily make new sacrifices. He did it once for all. One time, he offered up himself as a sacrifice. And that was lasting for all time. And for all people who would ever come to him. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. The law, the old covenant, made those priests who are sinful, who are weak. But the new covenant makes Jesus, the Son of God, the high priest, by the word of an oath. It's, it's a one-time deal and it's an it's a oath. It's a certainty that He would be the priest. Only Christ the Son of God was able to be the high priest of the new covenant and he is consecrated forevermore. In other words, he is set apart for that purpose forever. Not just for a certain time, not just for a certain people, but for everywhere, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Christ is forever set apart for that purpose, to be a high priest. So now I want to go in further into what does it mean that the Old Covenant has been abolished? There are some who will, who would take issue with when we say that. They will say, oh no, 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 no. You can't say that the whole law was abolished or that the whole covenant was abolished. There are ideas like, that are mentioned that will say that, well, Jesus came and he renewed the covenant. That's not scriptural. It never talks about Jesus renewing a covenant. It never talks about Jesus changing the covenant into something else. You read through Hebrews and all it talks about is one being put away and the other coming into effect, the new covenant, the new law, the law of Christ coming into effect. In fact, Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the, which we draw nigh unto God. This is the big difference. The law, which they had for... 2,000 years, or what was it that they had the law of Moses? Made nothing perfect. Uh, John Owen said it did not make the worship of God perfect. It did not perfect the promises given to Abraham in their accomplishment. It did not make a perfect covenant between God and man. It had a shadow, an obscure representation of all these things, but it made nothing perfect. There was laws about how you should worship God. There was laws about um, sacrificing to God and worship to God. But none of that made worship perfect. None of that... Um, the promise to Abraham, Abraham the father of faith, was 400 years before the law came. The law did not make the promises better. The law did not somehow enhance the promises. In fact, Hebrews says that, or Galatians says, that the law was temporary and the law was 
put in place so that sin which existed would be seen to be sin. The law did not come to somehow help with the promise that God made to Abraham. That was, the law was a separate thing. The law made nothing perfect. It says in verse 19, the law made nothing perfect. Nothing. But what did? Isn't God perfect? Couldn't He make a perfect law? You see, the law itself is holy and righteous and good, but the law does not make us perfect. It does not help us to live righteously. It does not help us to worship God. All it does, it, as Second Corinthians 3 calls it, it calls it a ministration of death. The law brings death. The law did not bring life, it brought death. It brought consequences for sin and it brought death. <clears throat> the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. So what is the but here? The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. What is that better hope? It is the promise that was first made to Abraham that in his seed would all the nations of the earth be blessed. That was a promise to Abraham that all Gentiles and heathen would be able to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That was the promise and that was which Christ came to actually bring. Christ is that seed and He came to bring that to fruition, we could say. He came to bring that into effect. That promise that was made to Abraham, Christ came and He brought it and made it available. The bringing in of a better hope did. As Romans 8 verse 3 and 4 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned the sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. This better hope was that promise which was made to Abraham. In Genesis 3.15 it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. When God spoke to the serpent, to Satan, he said that, God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Satan and the woman's seed, which is Christ, would forever be at enmity, would forever be enemies. But this seed which he was talking about is that hope which Christ brought. In Genesis 12.3, God spoke to Abraham and, Abraham and he said, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This better hope. It says in Ephesians 2.13 that we who once were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That is the better hope. Or Hebrews 10 verse 19 and 20. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. First, it was only for the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies and once a year and not without blood so that they would not be killed. Now, we can come to God with boldness any day of the week, any hour of the day, with boldness or with confidence knowing that we are accepted. We are accepted in Christ. That is the new living hope. 2 Corinthians 3:11 and 12 for if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. That which is done away was glorious. The law was glorious. And we'll go a little bit more into Second Corinthians 3 later. How it was glorious that Moses put a veil over his, over his face because the glory of God was so great. The law of God, the glory of God. It was so great. And so 2 Corinthians 3 is pointing to that and saying the law was glorious in how perfect, how righteous the law itself was. It was glorious. But it says, how much more that which now remains, which Christ brought, this new law, this new covenant, that is more glorious. And that, and that gives us hope. And then, looking at verse 18 where it says, There is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. The commandment. It is talking about the old covenant and the law. It is disannulled. It is put away. We know that the Old Covenant's purpose was only for a time. It was temporary. Hebrews 9 verse 9 and 10 says, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. All these laws of the old covenant was about eating and drinking and washings and how they, how they should do all these outward things, but that was only until the time of reformation. That was only until the time where Christ would bring in the new covenant. Or Galatians 3 also shows us how it was only for a time, the purpose of the law was only for a time. Galatians 3 from verse 11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. First, verse 11 says that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. The law was not there so that someone could better believe in God or that the law would 
help them to believe in God. It says that the just shall live by faith. The person who is just, who is accepted before God, how is he accepted? By faith, not by the law. No man is justified by the law. No one is made right by the law. But the just shall live by faith. And then verse 19. Wherefore then serves the law? Why was the law given? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. The law is not against the promise of God where Abraham was promised that his seed would be blessed in Christ. The law did not contradict that. The law was added because of sin, because of transgression. The law was added so that people would see their sinfulness and they would know their sinfulness. The law was added because of transgression till the seed should come, till Christ should come. Now, the so saying it so plainly that the Old Covenant is abolished, there are certainly many with the view and with the understanding that the Ten Commandments are eternally binding on everyone. That, um, I believe it's the Westminster Confession that actually says that or implies that the law, the Ten Commandments, was given to Adam and it is eternally binding to everyone. Now what that means is that you're bound under the Ten Commandments and if you uh, sin against any one of those commandments, you're sinning and, and you're sinning against God. Now, they will still say that, well, we're saved by grace through faith, but it's, it's as if there is these laws that we are under. You know, the Bible, the New Testament, especially in Hebrews here, and Galatians, will constantly talk about those under the law and those who are not under the law. And then it will talk about in Romans, about the Gentiles who were not under the law. They did not have the law. It was not given to them. They were not under it. The Jews were, but the Gentiles were not. Now, Paul was saying in Corinthians that he was not under the law, but he was under the law to Christ. What he is saying is, he was not under the law, what we know as the law, but he was under the law of Christ. That is something else. It is something different. It is something new. So, it is a very common view that the Ten Commandments are binding, but all the other covenant, all the other um, laws, um, they're called the ceremonial laws and the civil laws and they say that well those are no longer binding but the Ten Commandments are binding I want to show to you today from the scriptures why I believe that the Ten Commandments are part of the Old Covenant law and they're abolished 
I am not saying with that that we are now lawless and God says you can uh, live in sin and it won't be counted as sin because we no longer have the law. But I want to show to you why I believe the Bible teaches us that the Ten Commandments along with all of the Old Covenant law is abolished and the New Covenant that is in Christ is a better covenant that is about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus himself said that on these two hang all the law and the prophets. The law of Christ is God's law written on our hearts. Morality doesn't change. Lying was wrong before any law was given. Murder was wrong before any law was given. We don't know, but it's very likely that God didn't tell Adam that you shall not lie, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and give him the Ten Commandments. It is likely God did not give that to him by speaking it. The Bible doesn't tell us that he did. And yet, when Cain killed Abel, it was sin. Because that is a moral wrong. That has always been wrong and will always be wrong. The law was brought in so that sin would be, uh, there, there would be something to weigh the sin against, against the law. But it was still sin. As it says in Romans 5, from Adam to Moses, people were under sin. Not with the same sins that Adam did, it says, not after the similitude of Adam, but they were under sin. Because God is just and righteous and holy, and so, and God is not a liar, God is not a murderer, and so, everything that goes against God is sin and will always be sin. So the old covenant that is done away is not just the laws about how you should eat and about how you should bring the sacrifices and how you should clean everything. It's not just those things that were done away, but the entire old covenant, including the Ten Commandments, were the old covenant. It says in Deuteronomy 4 verse 13, And He declared unto you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform, even Ten Commandments, and He wrote them upon two tables of stone. Deuteronomy 4.13 is explicit in saying that the covenant that God made was the Ten Commandments. Some will say today that, well, the Ten Commandments were not part of that covenant which was abolished. Well, Deuteronomy 4.13 specifically says the Ten Commandments were part of that covenant. 2 Corinthians 3 also very clearly points it out. And I want to go through some verses in 2 Corinthians 3. To get the context, I'll read some verses here from verse 6. And it says, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, what is the ministration of death? 
written and engraven in stones was glorious. The ministration of death was the Ten Commandments and it was the Old Covenant. The ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Now it already says in verse 11, For if that which is done away, what was it just talking about? The ministration of death, which was written on stones. It was engraven in stones. That ministration of death was done away. Verse 11, For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it sh shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of, in the, of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to notice here how he says that it was done away. In verse 11, if that which is done away was glorious. It's not saying that it was set aside a little bit to be used as a backup plan. Or it was set aside a little bit to be added to the new covenant. Or the new covenant was added to the old covenant. No, it was done away. And it's talking about that which was engraven in stone. What was engraven in stones? The Ten Commandments. Like Deuteronomy 4.13 also says, God gave you His covenant. Even Ten Commandments. And He wrote them upon two tables of stone. And then he says here in verse 13 that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the, to the end of that which is abolished. He is saying that, that they could not look to Moses because his face was so glorious when he brought the law there. See, the law of God is perfect in the sense that it is holy and righteous and good. But it can't make us perfect. It can't make anything perfect. But that law was holy and it was glorious. And the, the Israelites couldn't even look to that. To that, it says in verse 13, which was abolished. Which is abolished. It wasn't abolished back then, but it is abolished now in Christ. In the new covenant. I also want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 12 and it says 
that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made both one, the Jew and the Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Ephesians is saying that God broke down a wall that was between the Jew and the Gentile, and this wall is the law of commandments contained in ordinances or contained in decrees. Decrees, which is the commandments and the laws of the Old Testament. Christ in his flesh abolished them and he made peace between the Jew and the Gentile. The wall between them before it was the law because the Jews had the law and the Gentiles did not have the law. So they could not come to God directly because they needed to come through this covenant. But now Christ abolished that and he himself became the high priest through whom anyone can come to God. It is no longer limited by the old covenant, but he is the mediator of that new covenant. If you come to him, you, you become a new creature in the new covenant. And then there will be objections and people will say, well, Matthew 5 verse 17 says, Jesus said, and it's recorded in Matthew 5 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. People will use this verse and say that, well, this is telling us God did not put away the law or the prophets. He did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Now, what does it mean that Christ fulfilled the law? I think in context, in the scripture, we have to come to realize that Christ fulfilling the law means that he became and fulfilled everything that it was pointing to. The lamb that was slain on the altar for their sins that they had to constantly do, Jesus became that lamb. He fulfilled that. He did not come to put it away and abolish it, but he came to fulfill that. And in that same way, he came to fulfill the entire law. He did everything that was required of him and that the law pointed to him. He came and he fulfilled it. That does not mean that we are still bound under the law. Are we bound under... Do we decide which laws we are bound under? Okay, we need to do these rituals of cleansing every week like they had to do them or we have to do um, yeah just many rituals that they had 600 and some laws that they had to keep we have to do like 35 of them and the rest we are no longer under them see many of those things teach us about God and it teaches us about righteousness the law that 
said that if you have an animal that is um, out of control, uh, I think I think there's a bull as an example in the old covenant, a bull that is mad and kills the neighbor's animals, or even the neighbor, it kills another person, and you knew that it was mad and it was uncontrollable and you didn't kill it before it killed someone, then you're now guilty for the blood that was shed. See, does that mean that we are now under that law? No. But it gives us a principle about what is right in God's eyes. It gives us a principle of what is pleasing to God and how God thinks about things that now that we are responsible if our property, for example, if my vehicle has no brakes, I've used this example before, but and I drive through town and I have no brakes and I hit someone and I, I either kill them or they have to go to the hospital. I knew that my vehicle didn't have brakes and yet I took a bad risk. I would be responsible. We can take that out of the principle of what God has put in His Word. We're not bound under that law, but it tells us about what is right and wrong. It tells us about who God is, what is righteous and what is not. And so it's the same with the Ten Commandments. Many of them are exact principles. You shall not kill. You shall not uh, commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness. Those things are exactly what is right and wrong. But how about the Sabbath? See, there's the view on the Sabbath today, different views. One of them is, well, the Ten Commandments are binding except the Sabbath. The Sabbath is replaced and now we have the Lord's Day instead. Then there is the view that they're all binding, the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath, but what we have today, the Lord's Day, is the Christian Sabbath. So, we've taken the Sabbath and now this is the Christian Sabbath. And I think the Sabbath is one of the clearest ones we can use also to show how it's inconsistent to say that the Ten Commandments are binding on the New Covenant believer. Let's look at the Sabbath a little bit. What was the Sabbath? First of all, it was the seventh day. It was Saturday. Now, there's all kinds of excuses today why it's Sunday now. But God never changed the Sabbath to a different day in the week. So the Sabbath was on a Saturday. Also, the Sabbath had lots of rules. Let's look at a few of them. Exodus 16 verse 23 and he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and seethe that you will seethe, and that which remains over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. See, and then verse 29, See, for that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man get, go out of his place on the seventh day. So, whatever you're going to eat on Sunday, you have to prepare on Saturday. Don't make food on Sunday. And don't go places on Sunday. Sunday, or no, Saturday, the Sabbath, sorry. Saturday is the day of rest. Don't go places, don't make food, because you've got to have, have that prepared from the day in advance. Or, the one that we all know, Exodus 20, verse 10, 
The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cow, nor thy stranger that is in within thy gates. You shall not do any work on the Sabbath. Or, Exodus 31, 14, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever does any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Alright, so if you don't keep the Sabbath, you should be killed. That was, that was part of the Old Covenant. That was the Sabbath. Exodus 35 verse 3. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. Don't make any fires on the Sabbath. Leviticus 25 verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Even the land itself, you should give it a year of rest. That would be a Sabbath of the land. And then, where something with the Sabbath actually happened, in Numbers 15, verse 32, And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And what happened to that person? Verse 35 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. So this person had broken the Sabbath by gathering sticks on the Sabbath. They brought him to Moses and they asked the Lord what should be done and the Lord said that he should be stoned. Now, I want to put that to you and, and say, is anyone keeping the Sabbath today? Well, if it's Sunday, I don't think it's a Sabbath. If it's Saturday, are you keeping these laws? You can't gather sticks, you can't work, you can't make food on the Sabbath. And if you do, if you break it, you should be killed. Do you believe that is binding on us today? Or if not, if you think that's not what the Sabbath is today, then who changed it? Who changed the Sabbath? Where does it say that the Sabbath was changed to something else? See, in the New Testament, we read about the Lord's Day. We read about the first day of the week. They gather together. They put money together to give to uh, the poor, to give to people among them, to their widows, and so on. The first day of the week, they came together to break bread. But it doesn't talk about the Sabbath. That was not the Sabbath. That was different. And so, if you want to say that the Ten Commandments are binding... You have a problem with the Sabbath. No one today. I mean, you could try and go back and be under the Sabbath. But then you would have to go back into Judaism, which the Hebrews were wanting to do, and become apostate, like they were becoming apostate. And so, one of the objections is now, okay, so you're lawless then. You're, you're just without laws and you don't care about laws and you can live however you want. Look at Romans 6. <clears throat> we'll, we'll read from Romans 5 verse 19 where it says, 
For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. See, what God does in a believer is He gives them a new heart and He puts His law on our mind, on our heart. His law is not the Ten Commandments. His law goes way beyond the Ten Commandments. Think about what Jesus said when He said, You have heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. See, they were able to keep the old covenant by just not doing the act, but now all of a sudden we can't anymore because we are in a new covenant and God says the Law is actually more than just the letter of the law. It's not just you shall not do the act. It's you shall not even think. You shall not even lust. Because then you're already committing adultery in your heart. And he used the same with hating someone. That that is like murder. So uh, the new law that Paul is talking about that we are under Christ. That new law is not lawlessness. That new law is God's morality. What is right and wrong written on our hearts. That we have a desire to please Him in all things. Not just the things that we find in the Bible. Okay, if it's not talking about a vehicle in the Bible, that means that I can drive 200 miles per hour down the road and kill someone if I want. Oh, not kill someone, but maybe it would just be an accident. Right? What I mean is, what is right and wrong? We have an idea about things that we have today that weren't written in the Bible. How about our computers? We have things we can do. We have things we can look at that are wrong and we know it because God has given us His law which surpasses, which is higher than the Old Covenant law. Hebrews 7 says, There is verily a disannulling, an abolishing of the commandment, because it was weak and it was unprofitable. The law itself did not help us to become holy. The law itself did not give us a desire to please God. But how about in the New Covenant? He does that. In the new covenant, He makes us holy by virtue of Christ. And He gives us desires. He gives us a new heart that wants to please God. That is the new covenant. 
So the new covenant is better than the old covenant and the old covenant is done away with. So we are not under the letter of the law. We are not under the letter of the Ten Commandments. But we are under the law of Christ because we are His. When it says disannulling here, it is, I already um, said it a little bit earlier, but there are some translations that say setting aside. It's not a setting aside as in a backup plan or we're going to use the law when we need it, but it is a dying off, a putting away. This law has no more power over us. This law is past. Again, there are many principles there that we can learn about God and about what is right and what is wrong. But the law has no power over us. We are not under the law, but under grace. I want to look at one more example in Acts chapter 15. And it is an example to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 15, verse 23. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Alright, well, some people from us went out and said, you got to be circumcised and keep the law. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Verse 27, We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves you shall do well. Fare ye well. I just want to point out to you here that as they were talking to the Gentiles, they could have at least said, well, if you keep the Ten Commandments, you will do well. you got to uh, not deal with idols and uh, blood that was, had to do with the idols and the sacrifices to idols. Don't deal with those things and fornication. And keep the Ten Commandments and you will do well. What did they say? Only this. They, they, they put some of the most obvious things. Don't deal with sacrifices to idols and don't commit fornication. And if you do these things, you will do well. He's putting the worstest things to them and saying, leave them alone, which I think they already knew. I think on their heart, they already had convictions because God, again, writes His law on our hearts. But they gave them a few of the obvious things that are like the worst things and saying, don't do those things and you will do well. Why is he saying this? Because a believer has a conscience and this conscience is guided by the word of God. 
This conscience is guided by God's law written on our hearts. And so he was able, they were able to say this to the Gentiles. And I also want to remind us and show us that the Gentiles were never under the law. The Gentiles, the Ten Commandments were never binding to the Gentiles. The Ten Commandments were part of the covenant that was given to whom? To Israel. The, he, the heathen, the Gentiles, they did not know about it. As it talks about in Ephesians 2, they were far away. They, did not, they weren't even close. Like the Jews, they were close because they, because they had the law of God. They knew the righteousness of God. They knew a lot of things about God. They were close, but they still needed faith in God to truly be His and be accepted. But the Gentiles were far off. They were not under any law. And so, do we want to make a difference now and say, well, okay, well then the Jews are still under the Ten Commandments, but the Gentiles are not. No. That's what Christ abolished. That was the enmity. That was that which was the problem between the Jew and the Gentile, was that law. That was which separated them. That was a wall of separation. And God in Christ broke down that wall so that they have access by one way through Christ to the Father. I just want to go to 1 Corinthians 9 yet and show you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. First Corinthians 9, verse 19. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Verse 20. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So what is he saying? To the Jew, I became as a Jew. I lived like the Jew. I, I did things the way they do. To those who are under the law, I became as under the law. To those without law, I became as without law. See, if he had wanted to say and make it clear that he was still under the Ten Commandments, he would have had to say that he, he did not become without law because he still remained under the Ten Commandments. He did not say that. He says, I became as without law, but I was still under law to Christ. Meaning that that is the new covenant law. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. What was that new commandment? That you love others as yourself. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That is the new commandment. The old commandment is done away. The new commandment is love one another as I have loved you. The new commandment encompasses all of 
the morality and the righteousness of God. But more than that, it comes with better promises and it comes with a new heart and a new desire to please God in all things. So Paul could say, I became as without law, but I'm always under the law to Christ because Christ's law is is the law of the new covenant. That is Christ's law. So back to Hebrews 7. There is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. The commandment was weak and unprofitable. And God said, I'm going to put that away and I'm, bring, I'm bringing in a new covenant that is good, that is perfect, that is helpful, and that actually changes us. That new covenant, actually when we're in that new covenant, we are actually changed and we are actually different. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. There is the contrast. We had one, now we have the other. The law is done away. Now we have the new covenant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for this new law that we have in Christ, where you give us a new heart and new desires. And by grace, we are saved. By grace through faith. We are counted as righteous in Christ because of you. This law of Christ, which is such a high law where we should love the Lord our God with all our heart. We should love one another as you have loved us, Lord. I pray that we would see it more and more. But even so, at the same time, we would see this liberty that is in Christ that you said in your word, this liberty and this freedom that we don't have to be scared about are we in the right path, but that we can know and that we can be at peace. And I pray, Lord, if there are ways where we are wrong, that you would convict us and correct us and help us to become more like Christ, but at the same time that your peace, which passes all understanding, would rule in our lives. And we thank you. And we pray as we go from here this week, you would help us to know your word and your truth more and more. You would help us to be salt and light in this world. You would help us to preach the gospel to those around us, to be uh, your hands and feet, one way of saying it, even though we know that you are the source uh, of everything. You are the one who does things, but you use us. And we thank you and we just pray you would do this for your glory and honor. You would work in us. And we thank you and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.